0: country and my shadow
1: welcome back to the Camino podcast episode 76 I'm Dave Whitson
2: nobody asked me my name
1: this is an overstuffed episode so I'll be quick in the setup over the last few years there's been an exciting development Wherein the Santiago Archdiocese has collaborated with other routes outside of Spain to offer official alternative starting points for the Camino de Santiago, allowing pilgrims to begin their journey closer to home, earn some kilometers towards the 100-kilometer requirement, and then pick up the trail in Spain. This has been particularly relevant to pilgrims interested in walking the Camino Inglés from Coruña, as that approach is less than 100 k and previously wouldn't qualify pilgrims for a Compostela. Now it's possible, if you tack on one of these alternatives. This episode features four conversations focused on three different routes. The first two routes, the Camino de San Antonio missions in Texas, and St. James Way in England, are operational right now. You could go pick up a credential, make your journey, collect the stamps, and have a head start on your Camino in Spain. The third, a pilgrimage from Jacksonville Beach to St. Augustine, Florida, which is a launching point of sorts for the still-developing Camino de la Unidad, will likely be fully operational within the year. However, it already hosts an annual group pilgrimage, the Baby Steps Camino, which qualifies pilgrims for the Compostela as well. It's a really exciting time, as the Camino extends its reach beyond Spain, beyond Europe, and even beyond the Atlantic. Stay tuned to learn more about this. Rebecca Simmons is the executive director of El Camino de San Antonio Missions and also the director of Las Misiones, a nonprofit association devoted to preserving and conserving the mission churches in San Antonio. You can find more information about the Camino de San Antonio Missions at CaminoSanAntonio.org. Rebecca, thank you again for speaking with me about the Camino de San Antonio mission route. Could you describe it for me? What is this pilgrimage? in Texas.
3: Wow. Well, it is a wonderful chance and opportunity for people from all walks of life and from all sorts of places to come to San Antonio and basically walk the historic route that was between and among the four mission churches, as well as the downtown cathedral. And the four mission churches are 18th century Spanish colonial mission churches founded by Franciscans, and they are active parishes. Our cathedral was begun by Canary Island settlers from Spain who started the cathedral at the same time as the missions. And so there is a river that runs between them all and a lovely path along the river and up through the hills. Well, San Antonio hills are nothing like what anybody else has. We'll say bumps then. There's some slight elevation as you come up to each of the mission churches and you go along there. We've patterned it after the Camina in Santiago. So you have a passport and stamps there at each church where you fill out your passport. And if you do this, you will get a 30-kilometer credit towards your 100-kilometer requirement for a Compostela from Santiago. And when you get that, they ask where you start, and your start location is San Antonio, Texas, for the El Camino. So you truly can start the El Camino de Santiago in San Antonio.
1: (laughs) How did this come about?
3: So the idea was this is really a wonderful way to share sacred space and share the cultural heritage, frankly, of San Antonio, Texas. But at the same time, we all look to Santiago as really a wonderful example of true pilgrimage and pilgrimage of a thousand years, right? I mean, it's just amazing. And so lots of people go on that pilgrimage and get totally psyched up. And so anytime, of course, we were looking at these missions, several different people had the idea of why not make it similar to Compostela, why, to the Santiago pilgrimage and have a route and passports and stamps and all of that. And once we decided to do that, then I was aware of, for instance, the Irish connection to Santiago and their monks, medieval monks routes and their connection to Santiago. And they had a, uh, you know, an ability to go from Ireland to Santiago and get credit. So we decided to explain what we were doing to the Archdiocese of Santiago. And I traveled there with only the intent of showing them our route, showing them what we thought you know we were going to do. We had not created anything yet, but just to say in the future, we would love to have this collaboration. And I would say because they had a very good opinion of our Archbishop, Gustavo Garcia Siller they said, oh, oh, wait, wait, we can do this for you now. (laughs) How long? Show us this route again. How long is it? And I said, well, it's 20 miles. And they said, 30 kilometers. It will fit nicely with the English route. And so (laughs) I, I just came out of that meeting just stunned and blessed. It was not expected nor did the archbishop or the bishop ever expect this. They were as surprised as I was. They thought this was kind of my vacation to go walk the El Camino and set up a few meetings. And so it was remarkable. And that's how it developed.
1: And it's operational now. Someone could go to San Antonio today and walk and earn 30 kilometers towards the Camino de Santiago.
3: That is correct. And they are doing it already. We have pilgrims that have gone who have gotten their Compostela from Santiago and Santiago made a big deal about it. They were on the radio. They were in the newspaper because they were the, a couple of the first ones that came out of San Antonio. So people are doing that as we speak.
1: That's so cool. So I haven't been to Texas yet. I will actually be in San Antonio in March, but I have certain ideas in my head about Texas I'm from Portland, Oregon. I'm sure people in Texas have certain ideas about Portland, Oregon. So <laughs> True. What, what is walking in this part of Texas like? Can you describe it
3: for me? It is very seasonal. And you know, we don't have seasons as you guys do, but we do have a spring when the wildflowers just blanket the whole trail. So if you are going to walk and you walk in March or April, you will see wildflowers everywhere. They're yellow and red and pink and just whole fields of them. The weather will be delightful probably and that is just a wonderful time to walk. You'll go along a trail that's actually cement, right? Or or it's a sidewalk more or less. And you'll share that trail with all kinds of people who are walking their dogs, who are riding their bicycles. But it is not beside the road. It is beside a river or kind of aligns with the river along the way, but not giant trees. Our trees are short compared to Portland. There's some that provide shade, but it would be a sunny day probably, and it would be lots of flowers. If you come in July, it will be hot. You must start your route by six or 7 a.m. if you want to comfortably or even with a little discomfort, but at least you won't pass out, make that walk. This year, unfortunately, we had a lot of 105-degree days, and that is just not safe. And we're working with what we call the San Antonio River Authority to kind of start putting out, kind of like you do at the seaside, red flag, green flag, or whatever, for August, because that is truly a very very hot month and by then all the grass is brown and things are dried up and it's the Texas dry Texas. Then in the fall we actually have red oaks that change leaves and so you'll see leaf change and what you see along the river too is you'll see turtles and fish you'll see raccoons we have tons of raccoons lots of raccoons lots of birds very few snakes I don't see snakes they stay away. They don't like people. But anyway, there's a lot of wildlife, a lot of lizards around. Anyway, it's it's delightful. Then you get into downtown to see the cathedral because it is actually the legal designated center of San Antonio is a little kind of medallion in the floor of the cathedral, the San Fernando Cathedral. And so you would walk into downtown and you would get up on a street for like half a block, and then into a plaza and into the San Antonio Cathedral that still has a portion of that original, like 1742 original church. And what happened is over the years, they just built over it kind of. So you can see the walls and you can see the floor of the original church and then they added on to it. So you would see then our beautiful downtown. You'd see a whole lot of Spanish influence, a lot of Mexican restaurants. So that's kind of what you would see.
1: And given how many missions there are, it seems like you're not walking for more than an hour or two until you hit the next mission. So you, you kind of have those as checkpoints along the way.
3: Absolutely. I mean, this is unique. This is one of the reasons we have a UNESCO World Heritage Site designation for these mission churches, because normally if you go to California, the mission churches are 20 miles apart. That was very decided that that's what they would do. But because in San Antonio, the mission churches were located very close to each other because of the danger at the time There were lots of indigenous tribal sort of different groups, clan groups really, in the area, and those were the people coming into the missions. But due to pressures on the plains, Apache and Comanches came in too afterwards, and they were actually killing the indigenous Indians of the locality, which is one of the reasons those Indians chose to go into the missions, because they were defensive missions. They had walls to defend, and they were given guns and everything else so that they could defend themselves against these attacks. So all of that to say, the mission churches are very close together, so they could call on the garrison in the center of San Antonio if they really needed help, or call on the group of people at the other missions to come help them if they were being attacked. So they're like three miles, four miles apart at the farthest, right? It's amazing, you know, how close they are.
1: Sometimes... Pilgrims will talk about, you know, 100 kilometers. That's the minimum you have to walk to get to Compostela in Santiago. And people will talk about, you know, it's better to go a longer distance. It's a more memorable experience. So there's debate about the length of a pilgrimage and what makes it meaningful and effective. This obviously isn't even 100 kilometers. This is 30 kilometers. What do you see as the benefits, the upside of such a compact pilgrimage experience. Obviously, for someone in San Antonio, it makes perfect sense to walk this as a starting point for Spain. But for someone from another part of the U.S., from elsewhere coming in, what's the advantage of coming in for a 30-kilometer shorter pilgrimage?
3: The advantage is, number one, I, I mean, and I can tell you what the pilgrims tell me. Yeah, We're not Europe. We don't get those six-month vacations. We don't get the <laughs> six-week vacations. We don't get any vacation, right? You get a two-week vacation <laughs> and we are a perfect weekend pilgrimage good point right perfect weekend pilgrimage number two they want to go to spain many of them do and this is a good small bite here is a small bite you can say at least you know half of it is just starting get the one foot then get the other and once they've done this then they feel like they've started then it is easy. Then yes, I can do it. I'm gonna go on because they've got to go on now. They've they've committed, right? I think that's another big selling point. This is very doable in a weekend. We actually recommend for people because there's a lot to see at each of the mission churches. It's not just going and see the churches. Remember, this is a national park. You've got interpreters, you've got activities. They want to show you around all the battlements that are around the missions, which are very interesting. We have things called the Secchias that still are all over San Antonio. And those are the original canals that were built by the Mission Indians with the friars and everyone to water all the crops. And the water came up from the river. We've got an 18th century aqueduct. It still exists. It still carries water. And in fact, two of these places, acequias, what they are in Spanish, one of them is called the San Juan Ditch Company, and the same family has been managing that acequia for the past 120 years. They're the ditch masters, and they still exist. That's been handed down since the 18th century. (laughs) So they keep those clear for us. So anyway, there is so much to see that's different. It's different from... Spain, you're not going through these villages with all these wonderful things to eat. There's plenty of good things to eat, but there's a lot to see at each of the mission sites and a lot to learn and also a lot to contemplate along the trail.
1: Well, they couldn't ask for a better spokesperson on behalf of the route because you definitely are making me very interested in walking. So
3: I am very excited about (laughs) it. And I hope to actually see you because I think we're going to be together possibly in March when you come down here and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to speak.
1: Fantastic. Well, I look forward to that. Thank you so much for talking with me about it. I think people are going to be enthusiastic to know that this opportunity is here. It's open right now and they can come on down to Texas, to San Antonio and have a great pilgrimage experience waiting for them.
3: Well, thank you. And thank you for all the research you do. So all our folks here in San Antonio, once they leave, they can study up and then get going to one of the many routes of the Camino de Santiago.
1: Fee, a.k.a. Fickle Fancy Free on the Camino Forum, is a pilgrim from London, England. In addition to her entertaining blogs in the forum, you can learn more about St. James Way on the British Pilgrimage Trust website at britishpilgrimage.org. I want to start with you, Fee, by just talking big picture about the route. What drew you to walk the St. James Way in England, and what appealed to you about it?
4: I mean, at the time, what appealed to me is that it was literally right on my doorstep. So <laughs> it was after I had come back from Porto to Santiago and I wanted to go again, but I didn't really have the finance to sort of go abroad. It always feels like a bit more of a commitment when you go abroad. I had time on my hands. I wasn't working. So I found out about the St. James Way from the confraternity of St. James in London they had a guidebook, so I went down there, I picked up a guidebook, I picked up another passport, and yeah, it just happened that the timing was there. I had five days, and off I went, you know, and I was very lucky because it was good timing. The weather was, was really beautiful for the whole of the five days, pretty much, apart from the last day, I think, yeah.
1: I'm so envious of that ability to just walk out <laughs> your front door, pick up a pilgrim passport, and hit a pilgrimage route. That's amazing.
4: I know. I am really lucky being in London, so close to Europe, even outside of the official pilgrim routes. There's lots of walking around here. And to pop over to Europe is a lot easier for me than it is for you, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, less jet lag involved. When <laughs> when you started doing this, did you approach it as the first half of a two-part walk that would lead you to the Camino Inglés in Spain?
4: Yeah, that was always my intention. I always assumed this St. James Way to be the start of the Inglés from Corunia, so the shorter one, which meant that the longer one from Ferrol is, I think it's over 100 kilometers, so it's a route in itself. Mm-hmm. But I actually think you can walk any of the routes and attach them to any ending of any Camino in Spain, I think, because I'm currently, I've done bits and pieces of London to Walsingham. Mm -hmm. So I've done the first two days of that and I've been reading up on it and yeah, you can use that to qualify you to do a shorter route in Spain if you'd like.
1: For those who are are new to this, who have heard of the Camino Inglés but didn't realize that you could potentially start your walk in England, what are some of the selling points of the St. James Way? What are some of the highlights?
4: I think it depends on the time of year that you go. I was in April and May, so the scenery I found beautiful and it was much more impressive to me than the bits that I did in the Porto to Santiago route possibly because it was my second walk and I was a bit more relaxed into it I wasn't fretting so much about looking for signs and making sure I wasn't getting lost you know my phone wasn't out constantly and I enjoyed the scenery around me it's a lot of fields you pass by little villages with very few cars Whereas in Spain and Portugal, it felt like you were walking very much through towns rather than villages. So that was a difference that I felt. Lots of animals as well. Saw deers, hares. It was a first for me. I don't do much walking at all. So everything was a little revelation, you know, from the the rapeseed field to the bluebell to fields of green. So
1: I'm often looking for bigger places along the way just because they stand out. Winchester, you pass through along the way, correct?
4: I did pass through Winchester, yeah, and that is a big city. The cathedral's lovely. There's lots to see and do there. I was on a bit of a timetable, so I didn't have as long as I wanted. And also in the back of my head, I always think I can always come back to Winchester. It's a train ride. So in that respect, I was lucky. But yeah, there's lots to see and do in Winchester, including, I think, it's the supposed burial place of the first Saxon king of England, King Alfred.
1: And this is, all told, I think the official list says the route is about 100 kilometers from Reading to Southampton. Yeah,
4: 68 miles.
1: Yeah, 66, 68, somewhere in that range. So similar distance, really, to the Camino Inglés from Federal to Santiago. So Mm. about the same. And what's cool about it is then with Southampton, you can continue on to the Camino Inglés, but you also could potentially follow the old way into Canterbury. So there's a nice way to link together some of these different options.
4: Yeah, there's quite a few official pilgrimages in England now. I know of one in, in Cornwall that I've <laughs> got my eye on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot around Canterbury as well.
1: Certainly the Via Francigena as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything goes to Canterbury at some point, right? In I started
4: that one as well, actually. <laughs> <I> started. <laughs> I've done the UK part of that one as well.
1: So many cool options. I want to go back to the point you made just comparing it to the walk from Porto to Santiago on the Camino Portugués, just because I think that that's an interesting counterpoint. There aren't a ton of people maybe who have walked the pilgrim roads in England, but tens of thousands are walking from Porto really has picked up in terms of pilgrim traffic. And in one of your posts on Ivar's Camino Forum... You said that in many ways, it's far surpassed my experience of Porto de Santiago, walking on the the St. James Way. You alluded to that in part just a moment ago. So I'm wondering if you could talk more about some of the ways that this route stood out to you in comparison to that more familiar walk to many pilgrims on the Portuguese.
4: I think a lot of it was definitely being my second time around and being slightly more relaxed. Although the Portuguese wasn't horrifically busy, it was busy, which was good for me for my first time. It was good to have company and see people ahead and know that you're, you know, not walking on your own or possibly in the wrong place. But the St. James Way, there was nary a soul. And for me, it was actually perfect. I didn't realize I wanted that until I came upon it. I was also very lucky because I bumped into one or two people every day or every other day who were either walking the same route as me or parts of it. One was a pilgrim as well. One was doing the same route I was. I think it being less busy, me being a bit more comfortable walking, it made me feel a lot more comfortable. Whereas the route from Porto to me was almost like a challenge, you know, almost like I'm going to do this regardless. I hadn't done any long distance walking before and I was following some semblance of an itinerary that I found online and you know it was physically very very hard the first three days were 25 kilometers and that was beyond what I could do but I didn't realize it you know and by the fourth day I was hobbling I was hobbling along and I had to take a taxi and buy a new pair of shoes and then I taxied on to my next place but the UK portion, I didn't I didn't feel the need to do that. And I suppose there's always a safety net that if I couldn't do it, I could easily pick up and, and go home. But yeah, I think for me, definitely the time of year was great. And the quiet, the solitude that I got was a revelation, which is why I enjoyed it, I think.
1: Sometimes people, I think, worry if they're going off of the major Caminos that the walk won't feel like a pilgrimage. And obviously, that's a subjective thing. What makes something feel like a pilgrimage? Did this feel like a pilgrimage? And and how so?
4: So the word pilgrimage kind of stirs up lots of questions for me. You know, am I a proper pilgrim? Am I doing a pilgrimage? Or am I doing a walk? I'm not religious. And I have a very healthy respect for people who are religious and for religious institutions. And i I would say I used to find it hard to even walk into a place of religion because I didn't want to trespass on other people's faith, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It was always kind of difficult for me at the beginning. And I suppose I had that a little bit when I, you know, when I did my first Camino from Porto, I suppose you could say I felt like a little bit of a fraud. It happened very suddenly for me and I found myself walking and, you know, I dreaded if anybody was going to ask me if I was a Christian (laughs) (laughs) or a Catholic, I suppose part of me was longing to see if I could find faith. I think that's probably one of the big reasons why I I did my first journey. And at the end of it, my fears didn't manifest itself. So nobody, especially no one from the clergy, if I'm using the right word, questioned why I was there, or made me feel like I had to somehow sort of prove myself to be there you know I was welcome into every church every cathedral that I went in and I sat in a couple of services and it was completely fine I didn't feel singled out or weirded out but I also didn't find God I didn't find faith and you know that was also okay I wanted to see if something would speak to me but it didn't and that was fine so the second time around I think and I don't know if I'm gonna say something that's gonna cause a little bit of a furore, like I. Uh, I love the stamping of the passport and the marking of time the record that it holds and you know more so than any certificate or distance or anything you know it's just that's the part that I actually really quite liked and I'm a bit of a hoarder so that kind of explains it you know going around to collect my stamps and making it official so it did feel like a pilgrimage for that reason and I you know, I have to admit that I, I only look for walks that have that aspect. You know, there's a lot of walks in the UK, but not many of them come with some kind of a passport and stamping thing. But for me, that's what it's about. It's sort of collecting the memories and having something there. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. I'm not entirely sure.
1: <laughs> no, I, I love how you answered that question because it kind of spoke to the more higher minded aspects of pilgrimage. But also the more practical ones that really do appeal to us, right? Like the memento of the credential, the pilgrim passport at the end, all of the stamps, that's a big part of the experience for a lot of people. And I think people will be heartened to know that that is part of this, that you can collect a lot of stamps as you walk and document the journey. I was struck as well by like how many churches of St. James there are along this walk. It's a ton. It feels historically legitimate to call it St. James Way. I mean, St. James is up and down this route.
4: There's a lot of St. James, and I think there's also a lot of St. Mary's as well, yeah.
1: Yeah, those two go together a lot. And then because (laughs) it's in England, it also felt at times a little bit like a pub crawl.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, though. I mean, there there are a lot of pubs, but there were also a lot more churches, a lot more churches than I found in Portugal and Spain. Because a lot of the churches in Portugal, Spain are really small, mm-hmm. so they're just on the corner and they're often closed. They're not the big cathedrals, but I think I've only got two pubs on my Saint James Way passport. I've got to double check that, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of churches in there. There's definitely lots of stamps going, if that's your jam.
1: Did you take advantage of the sanctuary network accommodations along the way?
4: No, I'm not entirely sure there is sanctuary on this particular route. Okay. There's definitely sanctuary on the Cornish Celtic Way, which I um, plan to do. But no, an accommodation is expensive in the UK. There's no going around that. I don't think there's going to be, you know, a bunch of hostels springing up at any point. But there is accommodation. There's Airbnb and you can rent out just a single room as opposed to the entire property, which is probably the same as a private room on the Camino. It was about 20, 25 pounds per night, which isn't horrific. It's great. And I was quite lucky. I found, you know, my days weren't long. I think the longest day was 16 miles, but it's usually around 12 miles. And I found a, a room at the end of every night where I needed it to be. So it wasn't it wasn't too far away. It's pretty much actually on the route. So, yeah, I got very lucky with that.
1: When you arrived in Southampton at the end, did it feel like a good, satisfying ending? Like, how did that feel?
4: Well, okay, so let's be completely honest here. I, <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> I was walking on my last day, and it was completely fine. It was a bit colder, a bit overcast. You're walking along the river, pretty narrow, but it was fine. But it kept going on, and then it started to rain on and off, and I was getting cold, and I kept looking at the map, and and I saw where I was, and I was getting really hungry as well because I didn't have any food, and I thought, right, okay, I could, con- I could either continue on this path by the river, or I could veer off to a main road, walk quicker down the pavement to what is a a supermarket, have some food. And I did that. And then whilst I was there, it was also next to a train station. (laughs) (laughs) And as I was sat in the supermarket window eating my sandwiches, I really thought, okay, do I want to go back? So I'd had to detour back to find the river route to carry on. Or should I just jump on a train? Now I had missed the train, but there's also buses But yeah, so I sat there watching the rain and it started to come down rather hard at this point. And along the way, I had met a woman named Anne who was also walking and I just messaged her to see where she was. And she had told me she sat on the train. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I've got, I'm on the train, it's raining, I've had enough. And I was like, oh, no. But yeah, I got swayed. I got swayed because I was cold and I was right there by public transport and the route From what I could tell, went past the sewage works and an airport. And I thought, well, (laughs) I can forgo that. Yeah. Did it feel like the end? Mm, Not quite. It didn't feel like the end. Because it wasn't the ending, I suppose. It was sort of the ending here for a journey to be continued. And I knew at some point I would jump over to Spain and, and do the other half of it. So it didn't feel like the end. But it was a nice ending. Almost kicked myself. So I took a bus in the end because the train had left. But by the time I rolled into Southampton, the sun had come out and it was glorious. like (laughs) I could have just persevered for another hour and the sun would have come out. But yeah, Southampton is also a beautiful little city, like a very old town. It's got a lot of history there. It was nice.
1: So as you said, this was not the end. This was the middle. Yeah. Months later, when you went to Ocaruna, And you traveled to Spain and you picked up the Camino Inglés. Did it feel like it was a continuation of the pilgrimage or just an entirely separate walk?
4: That's a good question. It hadn't really crossed my mind. It did feel separate, really. Like in my mind, it was a continuation. You know, it was a completion of what I had started in the UK. But the walk itself, I didn't feel like a connection between the two, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Not that there needs to be. I actually think, and I think the confraternity says it as well, that the St. James Way is kind of made up as best they can figure how someone would do it. I don't think there is much evidence of this is the route that has been taken. Whereas I think the Via Francigena is pretty, this is the route that Citric would have taken. I don't think the St. James is the same. So yeah, I don't recall feeling like, oh, I'm back on the path, if that makes sense. I was just at the start of the next section. The
1: last thing I want to ask you, I've walked in England once. It was a long time ago. But it was kind of weird being <laughs> in a place, not not England specifically, but I was thinking in terms of language, that I'm on pilgrimage and I can speak my dominant language. Obviously, the inferior American English. But I speak Spanish pretty well, but it's definitely my second language. And the way that I go around experiencing Spain as a consequence is different. There's a buffer, there's a barrier there that makes the experience different. And so it was odd being able to just so easily engage anyone that I encountered in conversation when I was walking in England. How did that affect your experience in comparison to walking from Porto to walking the Camino Inglés, having that direct linguistic connection.
4: It definitely made it easier, but the St. James Way, I definitely got a lot more sort of raised eyebrows, you know? Like, what are you doing? So I, I don't think, I mean, you know, there is a huge community of pilgrims in the UK, but walking in the UK, possibly not as big, obviously not compared to Santiago, where everyone who you see walking, you can find a shell of some sort attached to their backpack. In the UK, you know, I didn't see that really. I caught sight of one man with the same guidebook that I had. (laughs) But yeah, no, I I found it easier. But also there was a lot less people. When I was walking, I bumped into a couple of people per day. That was it. One or two people a day. In Porto, because of the time of year, there was many more people. We're all doing the same thing. And it was also very international. So I found that easy to engage as well with the people walking. So I guess they're tourists as well, or or at least coming to do the walk is a bit harder with the locals because I found it harder in Portuguese. I can just about get by in Spanish to order food and and things like that and ask for a bed. But in Portuguese, I know it's kind of similar, but it's completely different to me. So I I couldn't do it. The Inglês was remarkably different actually from walking from Porto I found very minimal English spoken locally like minimal and it was a real challenge because when I can't do my broken Spanish English pointing at words it it just becomes a bit more sort of difficult for me but yeah I found it much more challenging and also because I went I think I walked in November there was hardly any pilgrims and it was funny because in, in the UK I was completely fine and I loved it only bumping into one person when I was doing the English, I was like oh there's nobody to talk to and my days were really short so I'd be done sort of at midday one o'clock and I'd get to the accommodation and they'd let me in but there was no one there to talk to (laughs) so it was a completely different experience but also the pilgrims that did arrive either they wanted solitude so they didn't engage in conversation or they didn't speak English and you know that's No one's fault but my own. Like, you know, I need to pick up more of the local language in order to communicate locally. I wouldn't say I found it lonely, but I did enjoy the conversation I had with three French men sort of, you know, (laughs) on my second to last day, they did speak some English and that was quite nice. But yeah, it's just different. I think speaking the language definitely does help, makes it easier for me.
1: What's your next walk in the UK?
4: I'm currently walking London to Walsingham. I've done two days of that. I've got a couple of more single days because I can get to the start and end and, and travel back and easily. And then I've got, I think, a four-day stretch where I have to be on the road because it's just too difficult to get back to London.
1: So about eight days total, London to Walsingham?
4: No, it's about two weeks. Oh, wow. Okay. The guidebook says it's about two weeks. But yeah, I'm doing it in stages. I, d- I don't have the luxury of taking off all that time. I'm very aware that. A lot of people's first Camino is the Frances, the iconic one. And I'm very aware it's not been my first. I don't want to go anywhere near it because it seems so heavily trodden that I just I'm trying to find other things to walk. But yeah, so currently I'm in the middle of London to Walsingham. But I've also started the Via Francigena. So I've done Canterbury to Dover. And I think I'm going to continue that next year when it gets a bit warmer, like for a week or 10 days
1: it's so cool how you can piece these together from home
4: yeah no, it's fun it's really fun it takes a lot of planning <laughs> <laughs> and i even though i've done some walking i still don't really understand how well i can walk or how fast i can walk if that makes sense so it does take some planning to make sure i have enough time
1: well thank you Fee. this has been a lot of fun and and please keep posting in the camino forum about your walks it's great to read about them thank you <laughs> Deacon Mike Ellison is the Chancellor at the Diocese of St. Augustine and an advocate of the Camino de la Unidad near St. Augustine, Florida, USA. The first question I have is, what is the vision behind the route that is developing in St. Augustine, Florida, and how did it come about?
0: The Camino de la Unidad was the vision of the Instituto Nautica led by Francisco Guitard. Francisco is a a Spaniard based in Malaga, in the south of Spain, and the Instituto Nautica has been very much involved in the research, the preservation, the promotion of the discoveries in the New World, and how they relate to Spanish history. And the Camino de Santiago de Compostela, the Way of St. James, is a very important part in Spanish history, I would say in European history, and also in the history of Christendom in general. The Camino is one of the three great pilgrimages of Christendom, the other two being Rome and Jerusalem. And so the Way of St. James, took pilgrims in a completely opposite direction to the West, following the Milky Way all the way to Santiago. And so with the research and the delving back into history and the resurgence in popularity of the Camino, you may have heard of the movie The Way by Emilio Estevez and his his father played the lead character in that, Martin scene. That was responsible for a huge increase, well, in, in recognition of the Camino, people many people had never heard of it before, and certainly an upsurge in its popularity. Given that, and the interest of Instituto Nautica, their emphasis on history and building unity and understanding and communication between the new world and the old world, brought about research into the old ways that were forged in the new world. And among those are the the mission trail in California, following the the path of Father Vinípero Serra with the missions in California, the Inca Trail, the trails in Mexico, many of which I'm not really familiar with because that's an aspect of history I'm not really that familiar with, other than the explorations of Cortez and Balboa, but certainly the paths that were in South America and in North America, the explorations by Soto and the explorations done in Florida. And one of the early paths was the Camino Real, which went from St. Augustine to what is now Tallahassee, and the early missions that were along that trail. And so these are coming under the overall heading of the Camino de la Unidad, the name meaning unity, with an emphasis on promoting unity and understanding and communication between the old world and the new. So that's where we are.
1: Yeah, I've seen different nomenclature. I've seen Camino USA. I've seen Camino St. Augustine. So is it best to refer to this as Camino de la Unidad? Yes. Okay, fantastic. What makes St. Augustine, Florida, specifically a pilgrimage site in its own right?
0: Well, St. Augustine itself is the oldest continuous settlement in the United States. It predates Plymouth Rock, It predates any other settlement that was established, with the exception of Pensacola. Now, Pensacola was discovered and an early settlement was started there prior to 1565 when St. Augustine was established, but Pensacola was wiped out by a hurricane and abandoned for a period of years. So St. Augustine was established in the year 1565, and so it's been the longest continuous establishment since then. And because it's the oldest, it was a hub of activity until it was eclipsed by other settlements in what is now the United States. And so as a hub of activity, pilgrims would travel to and from St. Augustine, traders St. Augustine is also the oldest parish that was established, the oldest church. It was where the first religious service of any kind was conducted in North America, was in St. Augustine. And a mission was established in St. Augustine. And indigenous peoples, as well as the early settlers, they would travel to and from St. Augustine and other settlements in the area. And so St. Augustine became a hub. The Spanish brought with them a very popular devotion that originated in Spain, and that is a devotion to Our Lady of La Leche. And that is a special devotion to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Blessed Mother, for whom Catholics have a special love and devotion toward. And under the title of Our Lady of La Leche y Buen Parto many people came on pilgrimage. And so on the site at Mission Nombre de Dios in St. Augustine is what is now the national shrine of Our Lady of La Leche. And so even in those early years, there were pilgrims that traveled to see the image of Our Lady of La Leche in the shrine that was built there. The historic chapel that, that is now on the site at Nombre de Dios, that is the third Building and that was constructed in I believe 1903, and that succeeded two previous structures that were destroyed for one reason or another, whether the British invasion or by fire or hurricane. I'm not sure which of those causes, but anyway, that's the third structure that's built on the site. And in that chapel is an image of Our Lady of La Leche. Many people go to visit that particular shrine. Particularly women who are trying to conceive, or women with challenging pregnancies, or couples that are trying to conceive and they go there to pray, or simply to give thanksgiving for the delivery of their child. So it's become that side of devotion to this day. So that
1: lends to the Fama, the reason why that shrine is there. So, what is the state of the pilgrimage route exactly? I saw articles from a year or two ago that made it sound like it was basically opening and then I've also read some things recently that suggest it's not totally finished yet. So what is the state of the pilgrimage around St. Augustine today?
0: I could describe it as right now it is still conceptual with the exception (laughs) of the Baby Steps Camino which is a small spur that's done on an annual basis and that follows basically from Jacksonville Beach south to St. Augustine, a 30-mile path, there is a view to recreate the Camino Real, which would include way markers, identification of an infrastructure that would support that so that pilgrims could take that way, either going from St. Augustine to Tallahassee or vice versa. Part of that infrastructure would be identifying waypoints places where people can stay, cooperating vendors and uh, providers of services, churches along the route, all those things that pilgrims have come to expect on the Camino de Santiago
1: in France and Spain. Do you have a sense of what that timeline might be like moving from conceptual to practical?
0: I'm not that well
1: connected to it
0: right now, and there's a lot of work that has to be done.
1: Yeah. Yeah in terms of
0: creating that infrastructure.
1: Am I correct that what is currently the Baby Steps Camino, that 30-mile, 50-kilometer chunk, the vision is that that will qualify someone to then pick up the Camino Inglés in A Coruña, that it will sort of count as a starting point for the Camino de Santiago?
0: Yes. We met with two members of the Camino establishment, two priests from the Archdiocese of Santiago in Spain. One is the president of the Cathedral Foundation. His name is Father Daniel Lorenzo. And the other priest is Father Francisco Guide. We met with them late last week where we discussed what the relationship would be between the Caminos here in the United States with the uh, Camino de Santiago established some rules. Among that were the uh, credentialing of the Camino here and how that would be honored in Spain. So, for example, if people were to walk the Baby Step Camino approximately 30 miles, the mileage credit for that would be honored in Spain. And people that are walking the Baby Step Camino can have their credencial, their pilgrim's passport stamped, And then those miles or kilometers would be honored ultimately when they present their credencial in Santiago for award of their Compostela, which is the certificate of completion for the
1: Camino. I've been curious how this works, how you get that official imprimatur, that recognition. Is it complicated to validate The pilgrimage on your end to gain that recognition with the church in Spain? Or was it a pretty straightforward process?
0: It was a pretty straightforward process. We got the approval. Now, St. Augustine, the Cathedral of St. Augustine is part of an alliance of cathedrals in Spain. And this alliance of cathedrals are those cathedrals that are on the map in Spain, so to speak. These are cathedral cities that are on the Camino, whether it's the Camino Frances, the Camino de Madrid, the Camino Mozarab. And so these cathedrals have joined that alliance along with the Cathedral Basilica of St. Augustine, so that as a member of that alliance, our documentation is now honored there in Santiago. So a pilgrim could conceivably arrive in St. Augustine their credencial, their passport, would be stamped at the cathedral in St. Augustine. And then they could then, if they want to continue on uh, pilgrimage
1: in Spain, that mileage counts toward that. This wasn't a planned question, but it's something that's on my mind. And, you know, take it or leave it. But I'm I'm wondering this because I I spoke a week ago or a couple weeks ago with Edie Littlefield Sunby about her walk on the Camino Real in California. I'll be speaking with someone about walking in Texas. And we're sort of pulling forth this history, this Spanish history in North America, as we reassemble these roots and connect with the Spanish history and European history of the community de Santiago. And the Camino de Santiago obviously has this complicated history with Santiago, who is both Peregrino and Matamoros. And the Matamoros aspect of that is complicated today. And as we pull back and, you know, celebrate some of these really interesting aspects of our North American history and bring back these Spanish roads, we are also grappling with the hazards of that history, the downsides in terms of some of the complicated and and painful relations with indigenous populations in North America. And so I'm wondering, like, as we explore that history and we pull it back to the surface, is your church, is your organization, or others trying to think about how do we balance the celebrating and the bringing back of the really interesting and important parts of this history with some of the the more complicated aspects? Does that question make sense? Yeah, and I'll try to answer it.
0: The very purpose of this creation of the Camino de la Unidad is to promote unity and understanding and communication among people. I don't know if you've walk the Camino or any portion of it, Mm -hmm. but one of the great lessons of the Camino, at least for me, has been the people that you encounter on the Camino and the impact that you have on their lives and vice versa. And in conversations with people on the Camino, you may not ever meet these people again, but you each get a chance to tell your story. You can tell as much or as little as you want and offer your perspective on there. And sometimes people only want to be heard. And in being heard, they feel validated. And in being validated and heard, they are respected. And so when we have this communication, we have this understanding, there is that possibility for greater respect. and. You know, talk about the old issues that you alluded to, the history of Native peoples here in, in the Americas, or that theme of Matamoros, which is based on a legend, which <laughs> that came along after St. James had traveled in Iberia. But I think that legend of Matamoros appealed to the people at the time that were dealing with the Moorish invasions and the Reconquista and all that. So... Maybe it's sensitive from that regard, but nonetheless, whether you're walking the Camino de Santiago in in France and Spain, or even in Germany and Poland, because there are routes that go further east when you think about it, or walking any of the Camino ways in the New World, there's that opportunity to communicate with other people and to gain their perspective. and You know, one of the neat things, I think, in walking in the Camino is you can go over there solo. You can be alone. At least you think you're going to be alone. And I'm planning to go again next year and I'm going to go solo. But the fact of the matter is you're never alone. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you may even form your own Camino family when you are there. And that Camino family can be pretty diverse. When I walked the Camino in 2017, I walked with Two German nursing students, a young girl from Korea, a lady from Italy who spoke no English, who had just gone through two knee replacement surgeries, and here she was walking the Camino for crying out loud, a Spanish family, and a Portuguese lady. So it was a pretty diverse group of people I was walking with. And see, the great thing about it was in this little Camino family. Everyone getting a chance to tell other people a little bit about them and why they were out there. And so in that way, getting an understanding of other people, where they're coming from, their perspective on life, some were religious, some were not religious at all. Some were said they were spiritual. It lended to the diversity of the group that we're in. And you know, just in our own little group, I'd like to think that we were promoting communication and unity.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Deacon Mike. It's exciting to learn about what's happening in Florida and what might be spreading ultimately over time as we we build back the old roads, the old pilgrim ways in North America. Thank you. Great talking with you. Beth and Bob Gutman of the Order of Malta's Northeast Florida chapter are co-leaders of the Baby Steps Camino, an annual group pilgrimage from Jacksonville Beach to St. Augustine, Florida. You can learn more about the annual pilgrimage, the route, and their related work at babystepscamino.com. Beth and Bob, thanks for speaking with me primarily today about the Baby Steps Camino. Before we get to that, I was just curious about your background with pilgrimage. So what first got you involved with pilgrimage generally and the Camino specifically?
2: Well, a long time ago, I heard of a priest speak about the Camino de Santiago. And from the moment I heard about it, I knew it was something I wanted to do and needed to do and would be doing. But our children were very young. So it just seemed impossible, but I continued to read about it, study it, and it became like the number one thing I wanted to do. And then I was in a walking group as it children got older, and that's when the movie The Way came out. And my friends in the walking group were like, we just watched this movie and we want it, we want to walk the community Santiago. And I said, That's what I've been talking about for years. <laughs> and so what we actually did was we put a date on it. We said, okay. Let's set a date, we set it three years in advance, and the last of our our children entered college. And so we stuck to that, and we left, and there were, there were three of us. And we had the most incredible experience. We walked from St. Jean, Peterport, to Santiago on that French route. And then I've walked five major pilgrimages in total, and Bob's walked three with me. And then just this year, we, for our 35th wedding anniversary, we walked the Francaise route from St. Jean to Santiago. So that's pretty much what st- started the interest in the community de Santiago.
1: It's funny how many people have this story of they hear a passing reference to it once, but the hook is in, and then it's just a matter of time. And that has grown then. So you said you've gone back to Europe multiple times, but now it has taken root in the United States as well. And I spoke with Deacon Mike about the Comunidad de la Unidad, and when we spoke, he mentioned that it's more conceptual right now than it is an actual walking route. But he said there is the exception, and that's the Baby Steps Camino, which actually happens, is a real thing. And you are two of the leaders behind that. So could you tell me what exactly the Baby Steps Camino is?
2: Baby Steps Camino, it's a three-day walking pilgrimage from Jacksonville Beach to the National Shrine of Our Lady Leche in St. Augustine. And it's a project of the Order of Malta. And it began with my fellow friend and dame, Susan Egan, and I started on this project of creating the pilgrimage. And our husbands quickly jumped in, who are knights in the Order of Malta, with us. And so we started this project. And we came up with a purpose for the project, which was to increase the spiritual growth of pilgrims during Advent. We wanted to be a spiritual pilgrimage. And so that is our mission statement and our purpose. And this year, we've completed our seventh annual Baby Steps Camino. We named it Baby Steps Camino for the Holy Family Hospital in the Holy Lands, which is a primary work of the Order of Malta. And it is a maternity and neonatal intensive care hospital for women and children at risk in the Holy Lands. So we named it after the babies, thousands of babies that were born at Holy Family Hospital, but also had a tie-in with walking. So we did it Baby Steps Camino.
1: That's nice. Pardon my ignorance. The Order of Malta, I think about it like the the Templars almost sort of literal knights guarding the the pilgrims road. So Order of Malta is still an active organization. What is the kind of work that the Order of Malta does today and that you're involved with?
2: The Order of Malta is uh, one of the oldest lay religious orders in the Catholic Church and it began Almost a thousand years ago, when our founder, Blessed Gerard, started a hospital to care for pilgrims, these were pilgrims traveling to the Holy Land. So, Baby Steps Community know, Roots go way back to our beginning of our order. And today, as I mentioned, Order Malta operates a Family Hospital, which is 1,500 feet from where Christ was born, and specializes in maternity and neonatal intensive care for babies. And the charisms of our order. are are to care for the sick and the poor and to defend the faith and also to promote personal sanctification. And it's an international group all over the world. We're back in our roots with Blessed Gerard. They took care of pilgrims in the Holy Lands. They also protected them. So that's where the military arm came in through the Order of Malta is they not only cared for them, but they needed to protect them from people that didn't want the Christianity to go on. Those are our roots.
5: If you go all the way back over the course of the thousand years, you, you will see, you mentioned the Knights Templar, that Hospitaller Order, which is what we originally referred to, and the Knights Templar were the two big groups in the Holy Lands with castles protecting and defending the pilgrims. And again, we started out a hospital Order. Some of the other big works we do, we do have a, a Malteser International Group that provides Relief to disasters. So, for instance, when the Ukraine war started, we had a huge international arm that was there providing aid. Some of the other things we do, we're big into prison ministry, which is one of the things that Jesus calls us to do. We also have a special place in our heart for lords. And so we we take malads, what we call to lords for the healing waters, each year from all over the world.
1: Yeah, so a lot of different connections to pilgrimage throughout the history of of the order that you carry forward today. So what is the route like that the Baby Steps Camino follows?
5: We think it's a, uh, a pretty special route that we developed uh, when we first started out. And it's been essentially the same route over the entire seven years with only minor adjustments. So as Beth said, it's 30 miles or 50 kilometers total, of which 27 of it is on the beach, actual beach walking. And approximately three is on paved roads. It's three days at 10 miles a day. And we start in Jacksonville Beach and we walk south to Volano Beach in St. Augustine. And again, that section is the 27 miles. And then the last two to three miles is on paved roads to the shrine in downtown St. Augustine. And actually, I'll tell you, this last paved section is my favorite because the anticipation has been building, you're coming over there. And you cross this big, beautiful, long bridge over the water. And from there, you can see the Great Cross of the Shrine. The Great Cross is 208 feet tall, stainless steel cross. And it's the tallest freestanding cross in the Western Hemisphere. Wow. And you can see it off on the horizon. So your excitement's building. And then as you get closer to the shrine, it actually goes onto these very small roads where you're walking under a canopy of trees. And it just builds in excitement and then uh, we enter into a side gate where during our walk we have greeters out there greeting and cheering on the pilgrims as they enter the shrine i'll also add that the majority of the walk is on the is on the beach but the beach is different each day so on the first day you start off in downtown of jacksonville beach it's easy walking it's firm and fast people ride bicycles on the beach so it's an easier section of beach to walk You got high rises that turn into private oceanfront homes as you end of uh, day one. Uh, Day two is a much more difficult day. It's a narrower beach. It is softer sand and shells and a little more challenging if you've ever walked in sand. But there is a special portion of this because the beginning of the walk is these huge oceanfront mansions. And then that turns into a stretch of seven miles of undeveloped beach called Guana Research Reserve. And it's rare you can walk seven miles of undeveloped beach. It really is, it is really special. And then day three, as I mentioned, we have seven and a half miles on the beach and then the last two and a half miles to the city. We also don't make the pilgrims walk all three days. (laughs) People can do whatever they want. When we started this, it was never intended with the connection to the Camino de La Unidad or Camino de Santiago. So people have the flexibility to walk any or all of the three days. And in fact, on Sunday, there's a lot of people who feel they physically can't walk this demanding route. So they walk the shorter Bambino Camino that we established, which is the last two and a half miles. And this is pretty special because people get to enjoy the and experience the Camino. And we have people in wheelchairs. We have strollers with babies. We have family and children. Because there's an elderly that can really handle the the two and a half mile. And uh, to give you a sense for it, this year, we had about 80 people who walked that last two and a half mile section.
1: 80 who walked the last two and a half miles. and, And how many total over the course of the three days?
5: The pilgrimage has grown each year. In the first year, we had about 30 pilgrims. This year, on Sunday, day three, we had about 300 walkers. We had about 220 approximately. That walked the full ten miles, and then we had another eighty that walked the two and a half mile route. I'd also add that because we don't make people walk every day, we had over four hundred individual registrations. Wow! So there are four hundred individual registrations, but that includes people who don't even walk because we have lots of events during the pilgrimage, masses, etc.
1: Beth mentioned that. This pilgrimage, the Baby Steps Camino Pilgrimage, is designed with an explicitly spiritual goal taking place during Advent. And I'm curious how you as leaders try to structure it, design it, to cultivate that spiritual element very deliberately, while you're also working with such a large number of pilgrims. How do you go about that?
2: We always have a pilgrimage chaplain. So that helps tie the three days together and gives the pilgrims a face and a priest that they can go to. We have a mass every day. We have holy hour every day. We have opportunities for confession. We have opening prayers. And then something that's a huge hit with our pilgrims are prayer intention cards for the pilgrims. And so we have them available every day and they write their prayer intentions on them. And then they either, you know, drop them off every day or the last day they walk into the historic chapel on the shrine grounds and put their prayer intentions there. And then the final mass, which is in the Cathedral Basilica, we have a procession where we carry the pilgrim intention prayers and put them under the altar. And then the the last and final mass of the pilgrimage is very special because it's that mass is dedicated to the pilgrims and to their prayer intentions. So they feel like they've walked with prayer intentions the whole way and then had the opportunity to lay them down there at the altar.
5: We tell pilgrims right up front that a Camino is special and different. It's not just a walk or a hike. And that we really tell them that over the course of the day, they really need to embody the spiritual, physical, and the social aspects that all make up our Camino, It's designed to do all three of those things. And we encourage people, all the pilgrims, to not just be a walker or a hiker, but to be a pilgrim. And that it is not a race. It's not who can get to the destination every day. And we tell people, while you're walking, don't just walk with your friends. Take the time to walk by yourself and do some quiet reflection while you're walking. And then also make the effort to meet other pilgrims while you're walking and to share your reasons for why you're walking. Really embrace the whole Whole thing because you are walking 30 miles, you have plenty of time during the day to do that. We also do little things on the beach, we try to initiate and have people participate in walking rosaries. So, every opportunity we have, we try to promote spirituality.
2: This year was very special because we had two guest priests come from Spain, come from Santiago, and we had Father Daniel Lorenzo, he's the president of the Cathedral of Santiago Foundation and also closely connected to the pilgrim office there and also Father Buida, who is his archivist. They came because it was our inaugural connection with the Camino de Santiago, the Camino de Unidad. It was the first one that actually connected. So they were absolutely thrilled with the spiritual aspect, of the whole thing, but mostly the spiritual aspect of our pilgrimage. So we kept it very pure and very much a walking pilgrimage rather than a hike.
1: Why is it important to do it? during the time of year when you do it during Advent?
2: Well, we chose Advent because that seems to be the time when people are the most distracted from a holy time of year. The Advent season is very, very hectic with people preparing for Christmas. And so, you know, we designed it for them to take a retreat. We call it a retreat on your feet and draw them closer to the Lord during that time we know it's very busy, but that was the intention is
5: to focus. I I would also add that it's a lot nicer to walk in December (laughs) than it is in July in Florida.
1: (laughs) That makes sense. Bob, you were describing what the last couple of miles are like as you approach the National Shrine, the Cathedral Basilica. And I wonder if you could both talk more about what the site, the Cathedral Basilica, is like as a pilgrimage destination and why it matters to each of you.
2: Both the shrine and the cathedral have both historic and spiritual connections for our area. In 1565, when Menendez landed on the mission ground of Mission Nombre de Dios, is the, the name of the ground where the National Shrine of Our Lady of Leche is they came off their ship and named that mission in the holy name of God, Mission Abre de Dios. And they established the first Marian Shrine in the whole United States there on the grounds, and they had the first parish mass there. So not only did they land historically, but they also tied it to the spiritual aspect of it. The grounds of the National Shrine of Our Lady of Alecce are very, very famous, People come from all over the world to pray there for her intercession, mainly for fertility, for uh, good delivery, good and safe delivery, and for their children. And it received a canonical coronation a few years ago, which is one of the few in the whole United States. The Cathedral Basilica was added to our pilgrimage route a couple of years ago, and it was mainly done for a few reasons. One, it's fantastic significance to the St. Augustine area being the oldest, continuous parish in the United States. It's only one mile from the shrine. We had not only outgrown the capacity for our final mass of the shrine, but it's exactly when we were tied with the community Unidad. And we had the delegation from St. Augustine go over to Spain, and they received that beautiful statue of St. James. So the same big statue that you have in the Cathedral in Santiago de Compostela, we have the same statue in our Cathedral Basilica. So it was a beautiful, beautiful tie-in.
1: Bob, anything else you would say about the shrine?
5: It's just a very, very special place that we encourage all Catholics and Christians, for that matter, to come and visit it. It really is a nice place.
1: So the Baby Steps Camino is a pilgrimage that happens one time a year. The rest of the year, could anyone just show up and walk these 30 miles as a Camino of their own as a solo pilgrim?
5: So the answer is yes. And as I think Deacon Mike alluded to, you, it's still in its final development stages, but the answer is yes.
2: Currently, we have in progress a system being set up where there's going to be an app which will track the pilgrims walk by GPS. So they'll be able to w- walk the same route that we walked during our three-day walking pilgrimage. They'll be able to walk that on their own, and then they'll be able to walk to the Basilica, Cathedral Basilica, and then go back to the shrine, and then they'll be able to get the stamps that they need and the c- certificate of completion that they need for Santiago. And so that is all in the works, and, and the stamps are made, and they'll be able to get those. And we actually have pilgrim credentials that look exactly like they do in Spain, in Santiago, we have the community de Unidad, and we also have one that's identical for the, our baby steps. And so people will recognize those going over to Spain, and it'll be set up through the pilgrim office. Their miles will count towards the community de Santiago, and it'll count for all routes to so the community of Santiago. And when they walk the 50 kilometers here in the United States, it'll count towards the 100 kilometers needed for your Compostello in Santiago. And we're pretty pleased about that. We never thought that would happen. Their certificate of completion will be huge because you'll be able to upload it to the app and then they'll be able to tell in Santiago how far you've walked.
5: When we first started this seven years ago, never did we envision it would count towards the Camino de Santiago. But what we did is, is, as I said, we were trying to replicate that wonderful experience that we had experienced on our Caminos. And so one of the things we did is is we created a passport, and we created stamps. And as you attended our different events, so when you attended the Mass, you got a stamp. When you did your walk, you got a stamp. If you attended the Pilgrim Social, because we had socials every day, you got the stamp. So we had these stamps, and then at the end of the pilgrimage you would go through with your credentials, just like you would go to the pilgrim office. You'd lay them out and you'd say, here's what I walked. And you would get the equivalent of a Compostela where we would go through and would say, hey, you did this. And it was signed by the dignitaries from the Order of Malta, as well as the shrine, saying that you officially completed it. So we still hand that out today. And literally we were amazed when the we mentioned the Spanish priests coming over, They didn't really want to change anything. They said, this is perfect. This authorization, this is all perfect. What we need to do is figure out how to upload this. Because as you mentioned, our event is only one weekend a year. We want this thing to grow where people can do it at all times. So there is going to be additional planning needed because the churches en route aren't necessarily going to be available to stamp for them. So a lot of that will be taking place electronically by that's a GPS. And then you'll get your credentials and all your stamps at the National Shrine where they are fully staffed to be able to help this.
1: I know none of us have a clear read on exactly when the final product will emerge through all of the processes that it needs to emerge from. But if you had to just guess non-binding, are you thinking like within a year, this might be in place within three years? Like what's the time frame for this?
2: I think it's within the year. I've already seen the app and sent back feedback for things that I think need to be adjusted on it. So all those things are up and going. And the biggest thing, I think, also, because we had this gentleman named Francisco Gutierrez, it was his big dream to do this and have the Cathedral Alliance and come up with all these things. He's working hard on it. And by having Father Daniel Lorenzo and Father Guida here, it made it so much better in that we could explain through translation because Father Lorenzo, who's in charge of the Pilgrim office, speaks Spanish. We don't speak Spanish very well, but Father Buida is a perfect translator and also Francisco to be able to explain these things to us so that we would all be in sync. They were explaining how the computer system works in Santiago at the Pilgrim office, because we all know we can say whatever we think is right but when you enter the Pilgrim office where it's chaotic, you know, everyone's in lines and they have it exactly right. That You have to have things done exactly right. And so they were explaining how they're going to enter it, this into the software. And they were making their notes on what they need to do so that when the volunteers at the Pilgrim office see this and they open up their computer to see this route, they can check all these various different things. Us sitting down at the same table was hugely effective in getting this thing organized for that.
5: We also, for that meeting, we invited in the local president of the American Pilgrims on Camino group, because we thought that she would be a wonderful resource to help bridge the gap with the APOC group, if you're familiar with them, because there's a lot of questions. So she attended the meeting, and with her diligence, I'm sure she'll be working to resolve any open issues because, there's, you know, a lot of these pilgrims who are planning on doing it this year are going to want to walk it and get their credit for their miles. And as you know, having to count towards just the last hundred miles is one thing, but most of the pilgrims traveling from the U.S. go for a much longer distance. So it's just to recognize and have that honor that, hey, we did this and we would like to do that. That's awesome.
1: For anyone listening who's thinking, yeah, I want to join the Baby Steps Camino next year. How would they do that?
2: Well, we have a website. It's called babystepscamino.com. When they come into our website, they'll see right in the top when our registration starts. And we always start registration at the beginning of October. And then we'll stop registration a few weeks before the pilgrimage because we didn't mention our logistics, but we have to use giant buses to transport pilgrims from one spot to the next, because at the beaches, you don't have parking to be able to do that for that many people to be transported. We have a lot of organizing to do, a lot of finalization. So yeah, they'll they'll register through our website.
1: Well, thanks to both of you, Beth and Bob, and for everyone else that's involved in this process of bringing Camino-style pilgrimage to North America. It's Exciting to see this take shape.
2: You're welcome. Thank you. happy, Happy to be on the podcast. Thank you.
1: The biggest surprise to me in all of these conversations is how positive and receptive the Archdiocese in Santiago has been. To relinquishing kilometer credits to these far-flung routes. Maybe that just reflects some unfair assumptions on my part. Assumptions about trying to maximize business along the trails in Galicia, about clunky and unresponsive bureaucracy, and just some generalized territorialism. Maybe some of that has been true at different points. But the portrait painted by Rebecca, Bob, and Beth is one of a welcoming and inclusive approach to the Camino that's exciting. It opens up all kinds of new possibilities. On one hand, it feels kind of silly. Why exactly should we get excited about a 30-kilometer walk in the U.S., for example, counting towards the 100-kilometer target? Like Beth mentioned, lots of us want to maximize our time in Spain. We want to grab as many days along the route as we can. I know I'm not looking to trim kilometers from my so-called burden. On the other, though, there's something deeply satisfying about having that tangible connection between the Camino in your home country and the Camino in Spain. It's that authentic medieval pilgrim reality of the Camino starting at your doorstep. And even if we can conceptually see that still being true, even when a plane is doing most of the work, Somehow a credential and official recognition makes it real in a way that maybe was missing. It makes me wonder if the different local chapters of American pilgrims and the Confraternity of St. James and the Canadian Company and the Australian and the Irish and the South African and on and on and on, if all these different clusters of dedicated pilgrims might be looking for historical roots to cultivate in their own region expanding that network of Caminos ever further. Again, there are possibilities here that I never would have considered a decade ago. That's all for this episode. Thanks again to Rebecca Simmons. You can plan your pilgrimage on El Camino de San Antonio missions at Caminosanantonio.org. Thanks as well to Fee. You can find her tales from the trail all across England and Spain in the Camino Forum. Look for Fickle Fancy Free. Finally, thanks to Deacon Mike Ellison and Beth and Bob Ford for their insights on the developing pilgrimage in Florida. You can go learn about plans for the 2024 Baby Steps Camino right now at babystepscamino.com. All episodes of the Camino Podcast can be found on Spotify, Google, Apple, and SoundCloud. You can reach me at CaminoPodcast at gmail.com and through the Camino Podcast Facebook page. Thanks as always for